My guest today is an amazing woman. Her name is Rashma Sojani. She's an author and activist who founded Girls Who Code. But these days, Rashma is hard at work with her new not-for-profit Marshall Plan for Moms that seeks to help mothers re-enter the workforce in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. Rashma is also the author of a new book called Pay Up, The Future of Women in Work and Why It's Different Than You Think. All right, so let's talk about your new book, Pay Up, The Future of Women in Work. And God knows there's an important conversation that needs to be had around women in the workplace. Why did you write this book now? And if you could please give our, read our listeners just an overview of what the book is about. Yeah, I mean, I wrote Pay Up because women are in crisis. And, you know, the only way out is to transform our workplaces. It's been two years since the pandemic. And today we're still missing 1.1 million women from the labor force. You know, women of color have especially been hit the hardest. Uh, Right now, one out of three women are considering leaving their jobs. And 51% of mothers say that they're anxious and depressed. And even if you, you know, put all the statistics aside, like the past two years have just crushed moms. And the problems that we, you know, have been facing living in a country that doesn't have paid leave or affordable childcare or parental income, you know, or even, you know, support for flexibility. Like these are things that have been brewing for decades and COVID just exacerbated them. Yeah, I was going to say these are these are issues that have been around for a really long time, but COVID has accelerated the need for more support and you know the things that you mentioned so ultimately when you're saying one in three moms are thinking about what leaving the workforce i guess my question is you know being able to leave the workforce means you're not going to we're not going to have income so what's the thinking behind wanting to leave it's just too much it's too overwhelming if you have a child and you are thinking of leaving the workforce how are people going to support themselves? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I, th- I think the numbers actually one third are either leaving the workforce or changing their jobs. And I think what you've seen, you're right. We live in a country in the United States where people have to work. You know, this isn't the 1950s where you even could stay at home. It's just way too expensive to live. And so what, you're ha- what, what a lot of women had to do because of the pandemic was essentially because they're caretaking, you know, two thirds of caretaking is done by women, whether that's children or elderly care, you know, because they were the ones doing the homeschooling, because they're the ones that are taking care of our kids that are in the middle of a mental health crisis. Many women are, you know, are downshifting their jobs. So if they're working full-time, now they're working part-time. If they were working in an industry that didn't offer a lot of flexibility, they're working in another industry that does. And so they're having to essentially supplement a lot of their paid labor for unpaid labor. And this is why it feels like we're in this never-ending you know, chase towards equality, you know, whether it's equality in the boardroom, equality on Main Street, equality with women starting their businesses, because women have been in this constant conflict of having to negotiate being a mother and negotiate having a job. And it's never, ever, ever worked. And so we're constantly having to make trade-offs. And, you know, a mom will always choose her child over her job. Well, the problem is, is that something always suffers. There is... No way. I was a mother at age 19. And again, I had twins, you know, 15, 14 years later. So I've been a mom my whole working adult life, actually. Um, So I have, (laughs) I've got many years of experience of of what you're describing with managing, you know, a full-time career and parenting children. And the truth is, is that 
something has to suffer. There is no way that you can be present for your job and present for your kids um, and take care of yourself um, equally at the same time. It's always, for me at least, been about moving around where the impact is. Okay, my kids, um, let me, they've been getting more of me. Maybe I can take a little bit more time away from them and give it to my work. Okay, my work, you know, is suffering. That needs more time. It's just moving the impact yep, around. Yep. It, I, we say it's like it's like a constant game of Tetris. Yes, it no, really is. Really, and you're, and you're never, you're just exhausted because you've let somebody down or you let yourself down. Right. And you're, you're constantly feeling like it's never enough. So what's the solution though? Because, you know, I, when I hear you talking, I'm thinking, okay, is the solution for us to leave the workforce? Because ultimately, right. So what is the solution? What, what, what do you talk about in the book? Well, well, here's the problem. I mean, the way that we were navigating this was putting it on women. So we would literally say to women, you know, I, I, I was, I did this. I'd be in a, you know, I'd be in a, giving a talk and a young woman would raise her hand and she'd say, Mr. Johnny, Mr. Johnny, like, how do you balance being a CEO and a mom? And I may have just come from the green room, like breastfeeding my son. And I'd literally wave my hand and say, don't worry about it. Just, just keep working hard. And so I was taught that the problem is not the workforce. The problem is me. I need to try harder. I need to lean in more. I need to just do a power pose. I need to find a mentor. I need to read another book about confidence, right? I need to fix myself. And Lean so, in until you completely collapse and fall right, over. Right? That like, you know, girl boss culture was really, really, really toxic and harmful because we yeah. thought that this was an individual problem and Instagram didn't help because you think, well, this is just me. Like I look at her and she's just balancing, having a job and having a kid and having a dog and having a well, it's dishonest. It's dishonest. People aren't honest about the reality of what's going on. Cause I don't know one woman who has, you know, who's working, who has a family that is, you know, is uh, skipping through the fields. I don't know anybody. It's just that most people don't want to admit how they are struggling with it. And I think fundamentally, we're doing women a disservice to not be honest about what what the reality is. Absolutely. And I think that when so we were focused on, on fixing the woman, and I would say, and not fixing the structure. So I think the solution is, is we've never lived in a place where we actually gave women a fair chance to succeed in the workplace because we built workplaces for men who had no no caregiving responsibilities and we should have built them for women. I always argue like you should always build things around the most vulnerable. And the most vulnerable person in our workforce is a single woman, you know, a woman of color who doesn't have a lot of support. And so what does the workplace look like when it's built for her to succeed and thrive? And so that means, you know, one, and these are the things I, some of the things I talk about in my book is like, you know, living in a world that offers paid leave. You know, most women go back to work 10 days after oh having, God. Leave, even if you had a C-section, so wow. you're not physically healed or mentally recovered and you're thrown back into the workforce. Well, that does not lead to, you know what I mean? Long-term success, right. Or, or, or stability. And so we need paid leave, you know, we need to have affordable childcare. Part of this, like, and, and I, you know, chocolate, 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 it's the biggest reason why women are downshifting their careers or moving in and out of the workforce. Because childcare, you're paying most of your income on childcare. You're paying to work. Yeah. You're working, you're working to work, period. Yeah. Most of us right now, even in a, you know, even in a middle, middle class income strata are working to work. And then you're exhausted and you're angry and you're yelling at your kids and you're feeling, you know what I mean? And you're just like, why am I doing this? And what are my options? 
but ultimately what you're talking about when you're saying that a lot of women are going back have to go back to work 10 days after they've given birth without paid um you know without paid leave even if they've had a c-section advocating for paid leave especially after you've had a c-section and you have a newborn is just basic human rights it's human rights but we haven't had basic human rights in the workplace. I know. <laughs> it's wild, right? I mean, think about, I always say like in, you know, listen, think about pregnancy. Like the most, vast majority of women I knew hid their pregnancy to the very last second. I can't tell you how many times I've been in Zoom. And women are now able to wait eight, nine months, right? And they're, oh, by the way, did I tell you like I'm having a baby in two weeks? And we think that that's normal. And no one, no one, even the person who's receiving this information isn't like, oh, whoa. What is it about this workplace that I've created that you feel like you have to wait to the last possible second to tell me that you're having a baby? And so this that's the implicit deal that we've had to make to work. And we've tolerated it. And we've not even think we've basically just not even thought that there's anything wrong with it. And so that to me is such a great example of how how messed up it is and how broken it is. Well, it is broken, but how do we fix something that has been, like you said, it was not built for us. And we know what it takes to change infrastructure that is built to serve not our gender, um, not, not people who can birth and who are mothering. So how can we fix this? Because it's no, it's no small feat. And I hear you talk and I'm like, yes, these are all great ideas, Rashma, but actually how do we do them? How do well, we implement you know, them? So let's, let's start with the childcare. I mean, we just launched a national business childcare coalition to get companies to start subsidizing childcare. Companies pay for IVF. They pay for our, our museum memberships, our gym memberships. They should be paying for childcare because childcare is an economic issue. And, you know, we've got a lot of companies to sign up. It's actually shockingly not as controversial as I thought. I think the reality though is, is that we have to make it clear as workers, men, you know, both, both, you know, men and women, that this is something that we need. Just like I'm not going to go work for a company that doesn't provide some sort of health care. not going to work for a company that doesn't provide some sort of childcare benefit. You know, this will, this will exclude a lot of small, if a company has to provide pay, you know, has to pay, contribute to childcare, it's going to exclude a lot of small companies from being able to offer that because they just don't have the financial wherewithal to be able to do that. So does it limit somebody that they have to go work for a more, a more established company? Yeah, hundred percent. No, I think that, I think that you've seen, so I think the way that we think about this is like the struggles that hourly workers have versus, you know, salaried workers. So for a lot of people, they work for small businesses, right. Or they're hourly workers. And so, you know, what are the different ways that you can actually support people with childcare there? And, you know, when we did a survey with McKinsey, a lot of people said, well, you know, what I need is just predictability or flexibility in my schedule. So if I got to leave because my kid's daycare center has a COVID outbreak, you know, and I got to run out of the office, I shouldn't get fired for that. You know, I should get the grace of being able to have flexibility in my schedule. Predictability. That's basic you know? humanity. But it does, but it's not happening right now. Right. No, I know. I'm just saying You're how like, ludicrous yes. it is. Like ultimately, Rashma, what we're talking about is like basic human rights and humanity. And the fact that in 2022, we're just talking about those things as being things that we should expect and we should demand. It's shocking to me that we're still having this discussion at this stage of the game. But, you know, it's, but, you know, I think what's also, though, very wild is we haven't really been having this conversation. We were focused. We were actually like lied to. And I talk about like corporate feminism, we were basically bought into this big lie. 
and what the conversation, I don't know about you, but I was having was like, how do I get a mentor? How do I get a sponsor? How do I learn how to raise my hand? How do I learn that skills? It was all about, I was the problem. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, so, it's that's so now, very true. I think now the opportunity is now I see, I always say, now I see that actually cancel all the women's empowerment series that you have and solely focus as a company on how you're going to change your corporate policies to basically make it possible for women to work and have kids. So that means auditing your paid leave policies, auditing your benefits packages, uh, you know, designing hybrid work so you don't penalize women who take advantage of flexibility, like and and the 10 other things that I'm not even thinking about, right? About but actually what I hear you saying is corporate feminism and that whole, uh, you know, that whole lie that you said we, we were sold is actually been a great distraction mm -hmm. from the real issues, which is what we're talking about here. That's right. And I think that's a great way of putting it. It's been a great distraction. So even though we're like, Oh my God, this is when I talk, everyone's like, it's like, I'm like talking about unicorns. We're like, well, is this really going to happen? And I'm like, wait a minute. Actually, I actually think that this can happen. I don't think it's so crazy because I do think that we're living in a moment, like, listen, even right now, you know, for months and months and months is all this resistance to flexibility and remote work. And now like, you know, like employees are, are literally rioting. They're like, we are not coming back five days a week. So I think we're like winning the battle in changing what the five out five day in the office work week looks like. Now the opportunity is to make sure that when it's designed, women are not penalized for taking care of taking advantage of those benefits. And so focusing again on the design piece, you know, and then again, I, th I think that, you know, one of the, one of the silver linings I've seen over the past couple of months is, you know, I think a lot more childless women are really advocating for themselves because they're seeing that the leverage that they have in the middle of the great resignation. So in 22 states, women without children are actually making more than men for the first time. And I, you know what's happening. Women are walking in and saying, how much does he make? And I would like that in the corner office. And so they're- How they're do they know that getting told the truth? Because tra well, pay transparency in most states is not mandatory. It's happening though, right? It's starting to happen in New York. It is starting and, to happen, yeah. In, in fact, I know of a now girls because you can't even post a job spec unless you talk about what the band is. And yeah, be, I heard that about that, yeah. That By the way, why waste everyone's time? Just say how much the, the job yeah. is and then people can decide, oh, I want to follow up on this or no, that's not for me. It's, it's again, it's, it's about not being transparent and not being honest about what someone's signing up for. Right. Even though, and, and knowing how that lack of transparency was exacerbating gender inequality when it came to pay, because men had knowledge and information by their buddies about what they were making. And we didn't. And, 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 and we've been taught to be people pleasers. And so we don't ask. So I think that, but, so I think that there's these norms that are changing the power dynamic. I think the hard part, and you, I'm sure you appreciate this and being a mom is that for moms in America, we've been so beaten down for so long, right? It's like we've been breastfeeding in closets, not showing pictures of our children, apologizing, you know, when our kids, you know, are loud on an airplane, like basically just hiding our motherhood and accepting that we'll be penalized if we step out of the workforce to, to caretake when we step back in. And so when you've been treated that way, um, get building that sense in people that, yes, you can ask for things. It's this is really, it's really hard for me. Right. Well, it's like Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're conditioned 100%. to a certain mindset. So the, the first thing that has to change is the mindset. And the thing is, is we haven't even treated discrimination. We haven't even treated moms as a protected class. 
you know, yeah. we know you're not supposed to discriminate against people of color, you know, yep, or LGBTQ or, you know, trans, but we've actually never even admitted that we've been discriminating against moms, even though the evidence. Well, it's an, there. it's a, it's an, unco- it's, it, and it's often an unconscious bias as well, because if you ask most people who are in a position to hire and you're like, so if someone disclosed to you in your first, in the first job interview that they were, you know, in the first trimester of pregnancy, would you still hire them? Most of them are going to say, of course I would, but you know what? I don't think they would. They wouldn't. No, that's right. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a very stigmatized position to say, yeah, I'm biased against moms, but it, you're, it's kind of, it's like the silent bias that's been going on. Well, and it's funny. I mean, I think the thing is, and I know this as a CEO that, you know, employed a lot of moms too. It's like, you know, I, you, you know, once you've employed moms, like, even if I know I'm going to get you at 80% because you're going to be caretaking, your 80% is better than someone else's. You know what I mean? So like, I'm going to hire you. And I think what people fail to like, we've never celebrated is our multitasking ability just makes us better employees. And I've seen that, you know, over a decade in building organizations and hiring thousands of people, right? Who, who are the, who are my highest performers? You know, they've always been moms. So let's talk about the Marshall Plan for Moms, what, which is your new nonprofit. I'm curious what motivated you to having founded Girls Who Code and being very focused on that for many years, what inspired you to create the Marshall Plan for Moms? And what does what is this organization actually going to be doing? Yeah, you know, I stepped off being CEO of Girls Who Code to build this organization because I think it is like the next problem that I am like just laser focused and evangelical about solving. And that is essentially, you know, you know, helping women in the workforce through advocating for public and private policies you know, so we actually have a real chance of getting to equality. And so what we're focused on now is really, um, you know, po- you know, I would say on one leg, it is cultural change. Um, so, you know, I said, well, what was the problem with girls in coding? It was that coding wasn't cool. And so 10 years later, we've made coding cool. And so, so much of that didn't just happen through our programmatic work, but through our campaigns with Doja Cat and comedy and books. And now like hashtag women in tech is like the number one trending thing on TikTok. It's cool to be a girl coder. You know, if you take that parallel to now, you know, moms are not respected and valued, right? 85% of millennial women think that it's essentially sucks to be a mother in America. And it's true. By the way, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. wrong. And if you look at every media representation of us, right? Whether it's in film, whether it's in TV, whether it's in magazines, I mean, it is not sexy to be a mom. It's not cool to be a mom. It's not respected to be a mom. And even the tropes that are out there, you know, mom is super mom, you know, that immediately when you have that out there, well, then moms don't get things, you know, they don't get help. They don't get support. They don't get paid leave. So we have to really, really change. Yeah. Moms, it needs a rebranding. Yeah. yeah, And everyone hates me, but it's true. Moms. It's true. Moms in America need a rebrand. And so we are focused on, on that. The second piece is this national business childcare coalition we're running. And the third piece goes to what we were talking about is how, when you have a group of people that have literally been Stockholm syndrome, that have been so beaten down, so used to not asking for benefits for themselves, so discriminated against in the workplace, how do you actually build an organization in the workplace and start training moms on how to take that power back and how to ask for what they need in the workforce? And so that's a great question. 
Yeah. And so we're going to, you know, we're taking a crack at that, which will launch, you know, in the fall about what that community looks like, how, what that empowerment looks like. How do we, you know, how do we start training moms? How do you ask for flexibility? How do you ask for paid leave? How do you ask for childcare? How do you, you know what I mean? How do you make the case? You know what? There's also the piece, which is the people who you're asking the childcare from, the people who you're asking the raise from, the people who you're going to and saying, I need flexible work environment. Those are the people who need an education as well. Those are the people who need a perspective shift. And I think there's a big educational piece that needs to happen there. That is absolutely right. And listen, this is what I saw at, with Girls Who Code, I would go into male engineering company, like go into Google, Microsoft, and I would make the case, right? Now it's like you, there is actually no, or there wasn't an organization that was sitting in the workplace sense that was actually going and making the case. And so we're still having old conversations. We're still having to prove why is diversity inclusion better? Why should I hire a woman? Are you fucking kidding me? How yeah. many times do we have to show you that? I'm not having that conversation with you anymore. What I'm going to have with you now is how do you do that? You yes, know what I mean? the what? actual practical right. like tools stop, that we yeah, can apply. I mean, yeah, looking at me and saying, oh, I just don't know why, you know, we just have this cliff after age 35. And and what they really want to say is, well, it's because women want to have kids and they want to be with their kids. And I was like, Mike, I could tell you as a mom, that is not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, don't, I can't have it be so hard that it is, you know, um, hurting my mental health. Yeah. I mean, Rashma, listen, I founded a company called Girl Gaze, which is a tech platform that connects, yeah, you know about it, that connects female non-binary trans women with paid uh, creative jobs. And, you know, for all the companies that said that they cared about representation and, you know, inclusion, we went to every single one of those companies that put their hand up and said, we care about women of color. We care about diversity. And you know what? I think two of them signed up yes. and it is, it, that's the painful reality is that when you give people, people pay good lip service, but when you give them an actual tool and you say, Hey, I've got a solution for you. It's very simple. You just need to sign up, you get a subscription and you can actually have access to all those people that you say you want to hire because you understand why the workforce needs to be representative of real life. When you give them that tool, a lot of them find a million reasons why they can't do it because ultimately the infrastructure within those companies does not want change. And that for me has been the frustration being the CEO and founder of a company that built a tool that can help create real tangible change. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, where do you where do you get your um where do you get your determination where do you get your resilience like how do you keep going with this because i know for me i definitely get beaten down by it and feel like right. wow this is exhausting this yeah. we're, we're talking about the same stuff 10 years later here you're right listen i'm sometimes sometimes i'm shocked that i'm here building marshall plan because you know part of the reason why i got frustrated at girls who code after 10 years was like you told me that you would, that you, the only reason why you weren't hiring was because you didn't have them. And then I taught 450,000 girls and girls of color, and then you refused to hire them, even though they were more qualified than the people you did hire. And so, you know, the takeaway that I've had was essentially like when a company is built without us, it's really hard to get them to let us in. So you could say, well, learn that. And so what the hell are you doing now? you're like basically have a similar thesis. And yes, think- it's the it's a struggle. I It's where I'm at with, yeah. with, with my company, with GoGaze, where I'm like, I, I've created the solution and I still can't get you to jump. So what do I do here? Yeah, but so now here's the why I think this is like 2.0. 
because now it's about these women are there. They're in the company. Yes. They've got, they've gotten hired. Now they're being pushed out because right. they don't have. So now if you actually can put in, I think some of these policies and start having inside the company, um, having basically a structure there that is like, again, not a distraction, but a focus really on the outcome. I think maybe we can actually have more change. But we just gotta try, we gotta try different entry points. We were always focused on pipeline, right? And we're like, ugh. now, but some people are gonna get in, but the problem is they're gonna get in and they're gonna get pushed out. Yeah, that's what I was focused on is pipeline. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's this, this other piece, you know, this other piece. Where does your desire to create such positive change come from? You know, as a daughter of refugees, I don't know, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hindu. They say, you know, you're put on this earth to do something. I just was, be, I, I was put on this earth to fight. I can't, like, I am up at night just thinking about these things. And I think in many ways, if I didn't have, if I wasn't able to channel it into this, I'd be, I'd be super anxious. And so I'm able or super just, I don't know, angry, frustrated. So I'm able to channel the injustice that I see in the world into change. And I'm able to kind of break it down a little bit. Right. And I, I think the other thing is like, now that I'm, you know, I'm 46, I, you know, I, I, I built my unicorn. I don't give a fuck anymore. I got no one to impress. I feel, yeah. yeah. I got nothing to prove. Nothing. And I also see it like, <laughs> you know, I realized I'm like, oh my God, like I'm going to be marching my whole life. Yeah, I know. Like, I feel the same way as you. Like it is. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I might as well go to this yoga class. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well as yeah. go take a beat, right? Because yeah. this is a long-term fight, but I am always spoiling for a fight. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I live in that. Mm -hmm. Put your energy yeah, and your focus towards tangible change. Yeah. Who are the voices that carry you? Who are the voices that inspire you, that you look to, that you, that, you know, are role models in some capacity? I mean, Hillary Clinton's always been a role model for me. She's always been, so I've known her since I was like 18, 19. She is like the voice of truth. She's always been right on everything. You know, I also really in this moment, as we're talking about Roe v. Wade, you know, Cecile Richards, you know, yes. Ketanji Jackson, who's about to be our new Supreme Court justice and a friend of mine, all my girls who code. In my, I mean, mm -hmm. I believe in the next generation. Like I am like these young, they're so smart and they're so, they see it. They see us. They're not distracted by shiny things. They, they are not distracted by corporate feminism. No. Thank God. They, like, Thank they got God. I call it, ago. I call it faux feminist, you yeah. know, like the faux feminist culture. So, you know, for me, so much of my work is just making sure that I amplify and create space and inspire that next generation. Well, you certainly are. And I'm really excited to see what you do with the Marshall Plan for Moms. And if there's any way that I can be of service or be of a support in any way, just call on me. I will for sure. Thing is great talking to you. And don't listen. I think things are going to get really, really intense in the next couple of weeks. And I think they are, they are. And I think I do hope, and I actually want to see a lot more rage coming from women and it, it, it will take us, I think, to where we need to get to like, 
and to finish this fight once and for all. Rashma, we could do a whole interview about women's rage and my feelings about that. And it's a subject that I talk about a lot and um, I don't disagree with you. I think our culture uh, will try to shut us down really fast if we get too loud and too rageful, but you know, there's no reason that we should be shut down because nope. you're right. The next few weeks is gonna be bringing a lot, a lot forward. Yep, it was great talking to you. You too, thank you so much. You have been listening to VS Voices. My thanks to today's guest, Rashma Sujani. If you love our show, please comment, like, and subscribe to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And as always, please follow me, Amanda Decadene, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. VS Voices is part of Victoria's Secret's ongoing commitment to become one of the world's leading advocates for women. To deliver on that promise together, we have created the Voices platform to do just that amplify the voices, represent the views, and learn from the unique perspectives of women from every background. Sharing stories bring us closer together, and it's how we move forward, open up dialogue, and raise the game. Thank you for listening.